What kind of person does God choose to work through most often? Can He work through me too? Hey, this is Sheree from Bible Project. In this episode, Tim is teaching us from the book of Esther. If you've been doubting whether or not God could use you or your community for his kingdom, stay tuned. Today's message is full of hope. Listen in. Hey, everybody. This is Tim Mackey at Bible Project. And we're asking you to reflect on the story of Esther this week. Uh, this is one of the most well-known stories in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the setting is about 100 years after Israel's exile to Babylon. And by this time, Israelites are scattered all over the ancient world, living in the empires of that day. And Esther and Mordecai, who are the main characters in the book of Esther, they live in a community of exiles in the Persian Empire's capital city of Susa. This is around the mid-400s B.C. And the outline of the story is fairly simple. Through a remarkable and seemingly random series of events, Esther, the Jew, ends up being elevated as a queen around the same time that a very dastardly figure, Haman, is plotting and getting royal permission to eradicate the Jewish people from the empire. And so Esther, who wasn't aiming for royal fame, she's seized and she's taken into the king's harem. And around the same time, her cousin Mordecai, who was not plotting for political power, he just happened to overhear a plot to murder the king. And so after he blew the whistle on the assassination, he ends up being praised as a hero. And so together, Mordecai and Esther, they're able to expose Haman's plan to the king. And so the villain is executed. The heroes are elevated to royal authority. And the story ends with God's people rescued and thriving in exile. And so this story goes to great lengths to emphasize the very unplanned and surprising nature of what happens to Mordecai and Esther. And of course, the kicker is that nowhere in the Hebrew version of Esther is God ever mentioned at all. It's a very intentional literary move by the author that forces you and I, the readers, to look on these events a lot like you have to look on the events of your own life or your own community. There's people coming and going. There's political players coming and going. There's the rich and the powerful, and they're angling for status and influence. And who gets hurt and caught in the crossfire? Normal people in our everyday communities. And so this was how life worked in ancient Persia, and it's not much different today. But the story, in and through it all, is highlighting these seemingly random events, and you begin to see a plan at work. It's the unseen undimensioned God at work behind the scenes, and he's working out a purpose to redeem and rescue his people. But what is it about Esther and Mordecai that makes them so special that God would use them in this way? Well, we know it's not their high social status. They belong to a marginalized refugee community in Persia. Uh, it's not their ethnicity. Esther hides that as long as she possibly can. The narrative strives to make clear that Esther and Mordecai find their growing influence as a total surprise. They didn't plan for it at all. And the fact that they arrived at these powerful positions through no effort of their own, that's actually a really important point of the book. It's actually the same theme that's at work elsewhere in the Bible, in the stories of people like Abraham, or David, or Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the Bible, God consistently works outside human systems of value and power, and he elevates outsiders 
who have no stake in the social games about status and influence. And so in contrast to Babylon, for example, that wanted to make a name for itself, God elevates Abraham, the no-name, and gives him a great name among the nations. Uh, In contrast to the Israelite king Saul, God elevates the runt, David, to become the great leader of Israel. Uh, In contrast to the elder priest Zechariah, God chooses the Jewish teenager Mary to become the mother of Israel's Messiah. And all of these characters share something else in common with Esther and Mordecai. All of them, through no planning of their own, are brought face to face with this great test of their trust in God's character. So Abraham was called to leave his family and go to a land that he'd never been to. David marched out without any proper weapons to go face a giant. And Mary had to go face her own community as an unmarried mother. And so also Esther and Mordecai, this is the scene we're asking you to reflect on today. In Esther chapter 4, Mordecai informs Queen Esther that Haman has passed the legislation that allows Persians to murder all of the Jews. And Esther, he says, should go to the king and reveal her Jewish identity and plead on behalf of her people. But this is really risky because if anybody approaches the Persian king without being summoned, you risk your life. Apparently this king thought he was so important that only invited visitors were allowed, and if not, then you die. This guy's clearly got a superiority complex going on. And so for Esther, the choice is really clear. She has to surrender her life on behalf of her people. This is a do or die moment. But Mordecai says one more thing. He says, if Esther, you remain silent at this time, be sure that rest and rescue will arise from some other place, even if you and your father's house might perish. But then he says, who knows? Maybe you have come to a place of royalty for such a time as this. These words are dripping with significance. Just like Abraham and David and Mary, Esther now faces her own test of trust and surrender to the will of God. And Mordecai says, listen, you didn't plan to be in this royal position anyway. And so if God's able to use you, well, he could use anybody to save his people. In other words, Mordecai's saying God's not biting his fingernails, just hoping that Esther might pass the test. This is God offering Esther a chance into a deeper commitment of trust and surrender. And if she fails, it's her loss. God can rescue his people in many surprising ways. It just so happens, Esther, this is your moment on the stage. And so Esther passes the test. Uh, She calls on the people to fast for three days, and then she goes and visits the king. Her life is spared, and she outwits Haman and saves the people. And so Esther's story, it's the classic expression of this biblical proverb that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Esther and Mordecai are the truly lowly, unimportant ones who are elevated by God to overturn the purposes of the arrogant and the powerful. And it happens precisely in the moment of Esther's trust and surrender of her life over to the plan of God. This is the kind of person that a God apparently loves to elevate and use for his purposes. And of course, this theme in the Bible comes to its most perfect expression in the story of Jesus. He's the most elevated person you could imagine. Uh, The creator God become human. Uh, But instead of using that power for self-advantage, he surrenders his life. He lowers himself as he gives his life to die for the sins of others. His power is expressed in a self-imposed weakness. And so God elevates Jesus to a place of eternal rule over the skies and over the land. And so Esther's story, 
the story of Jesus, these invite us to discover what it means to become truly useful to the purposes of God. It means surrendering everything. It's about elevating others above ourselves. It's about giving ourselves over to love of God and love of neighbor. And so uh, may God give us wisdom and courage to know what that surrender and neighbor love is supposed to look like in the week ahead. Esther 4, 1 through 6, and 12 through 17. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatak went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Esther 4, 1 through 6, and 12 through 17. Now let's take some time to review. Esther and Mordecai were marginalized refugees living in a powerful and oppressive empire, and God used them. Through their trust and sacrificial humility, God elevated them to topple arrogant rulers and save his people. The book of Esther illustrates the biblical proverb that says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, God still has a habit of elevating those who elevate others above themselves. It might not always look as heroic as Esther's story, but God can use anybody as a royal instrument for His good purposes. So if we want to co-partner with God, we don't have to be rich, important, or powerful. We simply need to trust Him over everything else. 
We know that's way easier to say than to do. So let's reflect more on this. I have three things for us to consider today. I'll give us a moment to think about each question, but if you need more time, just press pause. Here's our first reflection. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What are some other stories in the Bible where we see this truth? And now our second reflection. With those stories in mind, what does it practically mean to be humble? How is it a mindset as well as an action? And now our last reflection. What's one courageous step, small or big, that you could take today to trust God and humbly serve your community? Thanks for joining us for today's reflection. If you want to reflect more on the book of Esther, there's a video and more detailed questions available at bibleproject.com study. Check it out. Before we go, let's read this poem from Paul's letter to the Philippians. You can find it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This passage honors Jesus and calls us to follow his humble character. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Today's message was by Dr. Tim Mackey. Our show production was by Dan Gummel and Zach McKinley. Our scripture reading was by Michelle Jones. Our theme music by Grant William Harold. And I'm Sheree Hayes, your host. Reflections is more than a podcast. It's a community of friends who are reflecting on the Bible all throughout the week. Friends like Frisch. Hi, my name is Frisch, and I'm from the Philippines. I usually listen to the Reflections on Spotify after I read my Bible, and it really helped me a lot in growing my faith in Christ. Thanks, Frisch. I loved hearing your voice, and I'm so thankful God is using Reflections to encourage your growth. That's awesome. Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit. Crowdfunded means that generous people like you pitched in to help us create lots of free resources that help us all see the Bible as one story that leads to Jesus. Thank you.